0: It has to be some common sense. Yes,
1: sir, they have the car down in 10 and the garage, Michael Byther.
0: We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Well, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Folks, we've sort of all for the last two weeks, starting on August 31st, when a inmate by the name of Danilo Cavalcante was able to escape from a prison in Pennsylvania. And since that point, everyone has been sort of glued to their TV sets. Uh, The area of Pennsylvania where he escaped, folks were in sheer terror because they didn't know where he was coming. They knew that he was breaking into homes, stealing food, stealing clothing. Five foot tall. Seemed a perfect fit uh, to wedge himself in the space between those walls in that prison as he climbed up those walls in a sort of an athletic maneuver. Uh, They called it, they referred to it as a crab walk. And the scary thing about that was that another inmate escaped at the same exact location in May, May 19th uh, to be exact. And if there was anything in this entire case that should have really concerned people, it was that. It was the fact that our prisons are not secure. And everything that occurred after that in my humble law enforcement experienced opinion was done by the numbers by law enforcement. Law enforcement did an outstanding job underneath the direction and supervision and command of the man you see on the screen, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens of the Pennsylvania state police, a consummate professional. Outstanding job, never wavered with all the questions he was being asked and all of the pressure he had on him. Uh, During the 14 days that Danilo Cavalcante was on the run, he managed to elude capture. Despite being spotted numerous times in Chester County, stealing a van that ran out of gas and showing up at the homes of people he knew years ago more than 20 miles outside the search perimeter he even had friends in the area that he had worked with and that he reached out to for help for assistance to get him out of here early wednesday a small army of state and federal law enforcement officers alerted by a tripped burglar alarm just after midnight captured the inmate i'm not i'm not so sure that that was what resulted i think really it was the thermal imaging that resulted in the GPS coordinates of this particular escaped inmate being given over to the sort of the troops, we can call them troops, they're dressed like troops, but law enforcement on the ground. And that thermal imaging technology was in a fixed wing aircraft that was owned by who? The Drug Enforcement Administration, which shows the coordination of law enforcement. When law enforcement is motivated, When law enforcement works together, there's not a perp on this earth, an individual on this earth that will defeat them. And that was what occurred in this case. Law enforcement got together at one point, more than 500 law enforcement personnel on the ground, in the air, horses, dogs, thermal imaging technology, every type of tool that law enforcement had at their disposal was used to bring Danilo Cavalcanti back into custody. And it took a while. And there were those that criticized it. There were questioning the competence of law enforcement because he wasn't apprehended in a day or two. It stretched on and many questioned why, why hasn't he been apprehended yet? And to that Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens answered, we're going to get him. It may take time. He may be an adversary that has skills, that knows how to survive, but we're using all the techniques that we've learned over a long career in law enforcement, and we will absolutely capture this individual. And sure enough, on the the 14th day, he was apprehended. Anyway, we're going to get a deeper dive into this tonight. But to cover this story with me is straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, a fan favorite, a crowd favorite, Phil Grimaldi. Welcome to the show, Phil.
2: Thank you, Billy. Thank you for having me. And I was getting a little crabby thinking about how this guy crab walked out of that prison and got away. That was getting me a little crabby.
0: Well, I tell you something. That was the only part of this that really got me a little bit upset is because the prison didn't take, in my opinion, proper security measures to secure that area where an inmate had escaped on May 19th. And their answer to that was to put additional razor wire near the, uh, the roof. And that didn't stop him because his answer to that was to carry a towel with him in the waistband on the back of his pants that would defeat the razor wire by covering it with a towel and grabbing it with his hands and moving it to the side. So in my opinion, that is inexcusable for allowing an area that was already the subject of one escaped inmate to not secure it properly so another inmate could escape. Your thoughts?
2: You know, Billy, uh, they talked about how that previous inmate had escaped, but that inmate only got a couple-minute of minute head start because the guard in the tower spotted him Uh, leaving the uh, the area, put out the alarm, and he was captured within, I think it was just a few hours. That other inmate also had self-taught survival skills. However, in this case, it was almost a two-hour period before uh, Cavill County was found to be missing when they did a head count, when the uh, prisoners came back in from being in the yard. So I think that that gave him the edge on law enforcement right there. He was able to get far enough away he secreted himself in the thick brush. And he said in a questioning after he was captured that there were several times when just feet away from him, law enforcement officers were almost stepping on him. And I think that that shows that, listen, uh, it's trying to find a needle in a haystack. They put the effort in there. They had upwards of uh, three to five hundred law enforcement officers doing the searches. However, he moved around at night and he was bedding down during the day. Perhaps he did have some uh, survival skills of, a, of his own. Uh, we know he came from Brazil. Perhaps he had uh, some jungle experience from being in Brazil. And then we do know that he was an illegal immigrant that came over the border. Perhaps in his travels from wherever it was that he came over from, uh, he was able to uh, survive through uh, very, very warm temperatures and traveling by night as opposed by day. So the
0: cover of darkness keeps you secreted the big hero of course in this whole case is yoda and he's picture of him on the screen and he's in, uh a belgian malinois uh, i don't know how to pronounce it Al- out malinois. malinois malinois and uh not like the traditional german shepherd but a belgian shepherd and these dogs are great uh police dogs uh, and he obviously took a great part and apprehending this uh, this perpetrator. Let's play a little bit of this here.
3: Learning more about the canine officer Yoda, who played a key role in Cavalcante's capture, this is the moment Yoda brought down Cavalcante.
2: The four-year-old Belgian Malinois is part of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Tactical Unit. Yoda was sent into the brush to chase after Cavalcante. He
4: first tried to bite him on the head, but then switched to his leg, not letting go. These dogs are biting hold dogs, and when they bite, they hold what they have. And at that point, uh the tactical team was able to move in and take Mr. Calcante into custody.
3: And Yoda has been very
4: popular on social media, receiving praise from all over the country for his service.
0: I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, Phil. I wouldn't uh I wouldn't <laughs> want that dog to be after me, that's for sure. Uh that's a scary-looking dog, and I, I know from experience going after perpetrators when a perp goes into a building and he's uh, armed, they send those dogs in. You can hear these guys scream, all right, all right, all right, I give up. You know, they don't uh, want any part of these dogs. These dogs are very effective. And uh, people were asking right from the very beginning, why don't they use dogs? And they were using dogs right from the very beginning. And it turned out, again, the dog was effective Uh, In making the apprehension and, you know, when he was um, secreted in the woods armed with a 22 caliber rifle that he stole out of someone's house, that could have been, you know, law enforcement officers could have been killed. Right. And having a dog like this gives them another uh, period of time to be safe because the dog is going to take on this armed perpetrator. Think about it, Billy. The dog made the pinch without firing
2: a shot. Um, you know, uh, one of the uh, newscasters uh, I, that I saw, uh, there was a question asked: uh, How come deadly force, uh, deadly physical force, wasn't utilized at the time when they spotted him? And they said, had he uh, presented that type of a danger, deadly physical force would have been utilized. However, they felt he was surrounded; they could utilize the dog. And again no shots fired. He took a bite on his scalp or whatever it was, but he was taken into custody and just look at that dog. That's really, really a beautiful animal. I love the fact that we have canines in law enforcement. They really are uh, very, very helpful. I can remember a time being uh, on the roof of a location where burglars had broken into the uh, location. They didn't want to come out. We were up on the roof. They made a hole in the roof. As soon as we threatened to get the dogs, boom, they came flying out of the
0: uh, hole. They didn't want nothing to do with no, uh, no German Shepherds or Belgian Malinois. That, you know, that's for sure. And so effective in the fact, and one of the biggest reasons it's so effective is that they're protecting the li- the lives of officers. And they're going after an armed subject. And a lot of times a perpetrator doesn't know what to do when he sees a dog coming at him. And even if he has a gun, they're more apt to turn and run than they are to, to shoot the dog. You know, so it's, it's extremely, extremely effective uh, technology that they have.
3: We were to some degree surprised over the course of the last two weeks that it had taken this
0: long, even
1: though the search area seemed to be not 10 states wide. You never really were, though. Why not? Because if you look at the stats, um, most people who...
0: You know, the only people I think that were um, really surprised that this took long was the press. And they were feeding that narrative the whole time. I don't think, well, some people in the public were. They. I think it was out of frustration. They just wanted this guy apprehended so that they could get their lives back together. But I think right from the beginning, uh, again, and uh, many people say I'm maybe too critical of the press, but I think they deserve the criticism. They fed this narrative from the very beginning. Oh, should we bring in other units? Should we bring in the National Guard, which... You know, they said that on other cases. I mean, on the Koberger case in Idaho, right away, they said, oh, should the FBI take this case over? That was after six weeks. They weren't satisfied that there was no arrest. And in the sixth week, there actually was an arrest. So in this case, many people were, were saying, oh, it's taking too long.
1: Break out of prison, are literally arrested within 24 hours, and most of them walking on the road away from the prison. Uh, this was a person who had a plan. This was a person who had the intestinal fortitude to undergo many challenges while on the run. Um, his mother told us a, a, about a lot of that. But These
5: are, John, sorry to interrupt. These are live pictures. This is the first we are all seeing of Danilo Cavalcante. He is in custody. John, walk us through what you see here.
1: Um, I see a SWAT team, uh, which is probably the people who took him into custody. Um, these guys that
0: are walking him in, they were, again, super talented tactical officers from Border Patrol. Uh, excellent at their job. They do this all the time. And this is when law enforcement is the most powerful, when you put together the most talented, the most experienced guys, and you all work together.
1: And I see a guy who has a change of clothes that we're not familiar with, which is a new sweatshirt and a dark pair of pants. Um there were reports that a backpack was found overnight um, that, may, that had things in it, clothing items, and so on that may have been his. Is that possibly what spurred them into a certain area? But he has been doing these kind of home invasions and burglaries and garage, you know, siftings, trying to find um, different outfits to keep changing his appearance. And you know, our last reporting was he was shirtless, so. He clearly has had these stashes while he's hiding out, but uh, you can tell even as, as he's walking, uh, he's a guy who's worn down from this flight. We've talked about the, the the scale of the federal and state resources. What we're looking at right now, uh, you mentioned it's a SWAT team. Do we have any sense of who they, you know, there's different uniforms uh, along with the SWAT uh, officials that are there. Who?
0: You know, Phil, one thing I just wanted to clear up. People, um, they also get confused by the fact that they say, oh, the police had uh, they had the green light to use deadly physical force. That is in the judgment. The deadly physical force is in the judgment of the person that must use the deadly physical force. They're not just going to say police don't move and if he moves without threatening them, they're going to shoot him. They're not going to do that. If he threatens them with deadly physical force, absolutely, good, they're going to use deadly physical force. But in in this country, law enforcement just doesn't, shoot on sight of an escaped inmate. Uh, Although they have the green light to do that, but they're gonna make sure they have cover and they probably will give some type of warning, police don't move, and if he moves, then they're gonna take action to use deadly physical force, your thoughts? Well, uh, Bill, I always
2: say that uh, there is a certain line that is crossed with the law regarding the law where you can engage deadly physical force. But then there's a second line in my mind, and that line is an ethical line. Is it ethical to use deadly physical force when a person is not a threat to anyone else, although uh, by the law you can use it? No, I don't think so. So I think that's what took place here. Uh, Had he pulled out the rifle and was pointing in the direction of another law enforcement officer? or at a law enforcement officer that was facing him down, I think deadly physical force would have been utilized. However, they felt that he was crawling. He did grab the gun, but he was crawling away. They uh, engaged the dog, and they were able to do it without firing a shot. But I always talk about that. Yes, there is that line that you have to get across. You have to cross that line in the law that says you can use deadly physical force, whether someone is going to be harmed with deadly physical force. Another person or yourself, and then there's the ethical line. And Bill, you know, you and I have both known that there have been times when you had your finger on the trigger of a gun on a perpetrator, and you probably had crossed that line, but yet you didn't fire because the ethical line wasn't crossed. I know it's a little hard to explain. Maybe people don't understand it, but it's a kind of a gray area. And I think that you're just making these split second decisions, and a lot of times you use that restraint. Uh, when you can, and other times there's no other alternative but to deploy the deadly physical force.
0: Well, well explained, Phil. I just want people to realize that uh, no one uh, in law enforcement just wants to take someone's life. Of if not. they don't have to. Not. You know, uh, and it's it's always considered a last resort to use deadly physical force as an absolute last resort. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of this from News Nation. Uh,
5: killer Danilo Cavalcante he is now back in the custody of Pennsylvania authorities but he managed to elude them for two weeks in a heavily wooded area about 20 miles away from the prison he escaped Cavalcante had just been sentenced to life when he crab walked between
0: these two walk- see that this is the picture that the whole nation has seen this is the picture that is, has been on every news station since August 31st when he escaped it's really, to me, the fact that the prison knew that someone escaped from this very location in this very same manner, I don't. Uh, I just can't understand how they didn't secure it better so that this couldn't happen again. Clearly, it happened again. And someone, you know, when they say someone's head has to roll, and I think they did allegedly fire or perhaps, because this is civil service, they probably made him retire. There was an 18 year veteran that was in the guard tower that uh, apparently was on his cell phone and didn't watch as this Danilo Cavalcante escaped across the rooftops. But watching this crab walk up, up the walls is just uh, just an incredible athletic feat.
5: Balls made his way through razor wire and then just apparently jumped off the prison roof. News Nation's Evan Lambert has been following this story, joins us live from Chester County, Pennsylvania. So, Evan, a lot of people want to know, we know he's sentenced to life, but is he facing any new charges?
6: Nicole, it looks like he will be charged with escape. Danilo Cavalcante found just behind this tractor-trailer dealership just yesterday, and as you mentioned, some 20 miles from the prison that he broke out of, on august 31st right now he is in another prison this time it is a state facility one that officials say he should not be able to break out of let me tell you a little bit about this facility it's here in the general philadelphia area it's called sci phoenix it is a four bed facility with 1200 employees maximum security and it has improved safety and security features over the previous prison that it replaced We checked in with state prison officials a little bit earlier today. They tell us they don't yet have information on where his cell is located or what privileges he will or won't have based on his history of escape. It was just yesterday. We saw the convicted killer who led hundreds of law enforcement on a manhunt for two weeks, paraded in front of cameras after his successful capture early yesterday morning. Ultimately, it was thermal technology that located Cavalcante, tactical teams and a dog were able to move in, surround him. They then released that dog that subdued Cavalcante, and no shots were fired during that takedown. Now, Cavalcante did tell investigators in interviews he survived the wilderness by drinking stream water and eating watermelon. He moved very little, officers almost stepping on him several times, he told them. U.S. Marshals interviewing him, getting insight into what he was planning next— Supervisory Deputy Marshal Rob Clark spoke to our Chris Cuomo just last night.
4: And interestingly enough, we asked him what his endgame was. Where were yeah. you going? And ultimately, he said he intended to carjack somebody in the community and head north to Canada or, either, or try to get back to Puerto Rico. He said he was going to do that in the next 24 hours, and that that was the reason he kept that firearm. He knew he needed a weapon in order to get a vehicle. Mm. So we believe he was brutally honest. Why wouldn't he be? And um, it was just valuable information and answer a lot of questions for us.
6: And Cavalcante does have a hearing on that escape charge scheduled for September 23rd. Also, I should mention that Chester County prison officials did put out a statement yesterday thanking all the law enforcement involved. But they also mentioned that there are short and long term upgrades to that prison, that county facility that are in the process of being made. Nicole.
5: Yeah. A lot of people would argue upgrades certainly need to be made. All right. Evan,
0: You know, Phil, you just see through that he had a long, he had a plan. He didn't just escape with no plan. His plan was to keep moving and to survive out there as long as he could obtain a weapon. And then his next move was to carjack a car. And in that instance, he could have killed somebody and would have killed someone in order to get away he was facing potentially two life terms, you know, for the murder here and the murder in Brazil. So extremely, extremely dangerous. And the people that live in this area, I think they really uh, owe a sort of, they owe a um, a lot of gratitude toward the Pennsylvania state police and all of the law enforcement agencies that moved in here were able to apprehend him because Their lives were turned upside down. Stores were closed. Schools were closed. People were locked in their homes. They had a shelter-in-place order. I hadn't heard a shelter-in-place order since the Boston Marathon bombers uh, with the Zarnayev brothers, and they shut down the whole city. This is the first time I ever heard that since the Boston Marathon bombings. Your thoughts? Well, thank God that uh, he was apprehended when he was. Of
2: course, if he was able to follow through with that plan and try to carjack somebody, obviously, as you've stated, Billy, uh, things can go awry very quickly. Perhaps he could have hurt someone. Uh, Maybe someone tries to step in and and help. He hurts that person or even law enforcement. And then once he's on the run with a vehicle, uh, they'll obviously put out the bulletin and perhaps uh, law enforcement picks him up down the road. And again, we could have a chase, which could lead into you know, more uh, damage and and death and destruction in that parameter. So uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about is when he was uh, arrested for, well, he was uh, being sought for the killing of Deborah Brandau. Brandau. Um, He had gone to Virginia. So he, this guy really had a plan. He he, uh, tried to escape from that. He tried to get away. He was arrested in Virginia, brought back to Pennsylvania to stand charges, convicted on the murder one. He left Brazil because he was wanted for a murder, so again, this guy was very slippery. He did have a plan. Thank God he was apprehended when he was before he could hurt anyone else. And, uh, you know, when you look at the fact that, uh, you know, the media and the public was uh, itching for him to be captured, so was I. My daughter goes to school in that area. Obviously, everybody was very concerned. But when you look at the uh, uh, the layout of the land, it's very thick brush. It's difficult to find somebody during the day or at night. So it was a difficult search. However, they were successful, thank God, and nobody was injured.
0: You know, the the whole community uh, obviously was um, you know, it was brought to a standstill really. Uh, They had to close roads, shut off areas. We kept hearing uh, they had certain areas, the perimeter. The perimeter was secured. However, the perimeter kept changing because he kept escaping the perimeter. And when you think of security devices now, and this is you know the 21st century it's almost everyone and you know you can do what you want, but everyone should have a doorbell ring camera. I think that they're so effective uh, they're effective in securing your home also you can tell when someone's coming to your door, you can tell if someone while you were sleeping was in your driveway uh, it's just a super effective thing and in this case, it showed they had doorbell cameras as well as what we would uh, co- they called trail cameras, cameras that were just out there on the trails that they could. Uh, and those are what caught him, really. In essence, they caught his image walking around numerous times. And that's why they knew on several occasions that, that he had escaped the perimeter. The other thing about the ring camera, I and mean, there's many,
2: many different types of security cameras that you can utilize. But with the ring camera, there's a thing called neighborhood alerts on there. So if something happens in your neighborhood and a person posts, this is a video of them breaking into my car, you get all that information. It's kind of real-time information, too. So it's an excellent, excellent piece of uh, equipment. They're not that expensive. I don't want to make a commercial for the ring doorbell uh, camera. Yeah, and, exactly. And I, they are got to pay I us do, if they want us to do that. <laughs> I do have a ring doorbell camera, but I also have a security system, a video surveillance system. I also have a third set of cameras that are also very inexpensive, easy to work. You just need a Wi-Fi signal. So, again, there's a lot of different things you can do. Uh, lighting. I think lighting is very important. If you come to my house at night, I have lights uh, on all four areas of my home. So at nighttime, my house is lit up around the whole perimeter. That prevents somebody from lurking. I mean, if they're going to go into my yard or on the side of my house, in front of my house, it's going to be lit up. They're going to be caught on camera, and maybe someone driving by is going to see them. So those are just a couple of little safety tips. And and I guess in the rural areas, it's hard to light everything up. But uh, those, uh, those cameras you talked about, those uh, cameras that hunters use, that were out there. What did you call them, Billy? The ca- the They're other called cameras? Trail,
0: trail cameras. Yeah, the,
2: the, the trail cameras. Those are also excellent if you have a large area of property. Uh, you know, you could always go back and, and take a look at those. So again, there's a lot of different safety things. And in today's world, I was talking about it the other day. I was speaking to a writer that's writing some script and he was doing a timepiece. And I said, my time on the police force, uh, when we would investigate a case, one out of 10 times there'd be some type of video and the video was always not very good. I'm talking about like in the 80s, 90s. And then today, almost 10 out of 10 times you have video uh, footage of an incident. And if you don't have it from the actual location where a perpetrator may have come from or or exited to, there's always going to be other cameras in the area. So we're living in the world of technology. There's cameras everywhere. And I think that uh, the cameras definitely helped uh, they gave us a picture of him that he had been clean shaven, the clothing that he was updating with. So uh, very helpful in this investigation for sure.
0: You know, Phil, this is one of the first investigations I've seen in a long time where a cell phone had no involvement in it at all. Yeah, because good point. Because obviously point. the perpetrator didn't have a cell phone. They thought maybe he had acquired one. But usually that's the first thing they get up and track is the cell phone which makes it easier to track the perpetrator. In this instance, uh, Donello Cavalcante did not have a cell phone. So these trail cameras came in, usually uh, they were uh, a huge aid to law enforcement to spot where he was.
7: Good
6: evening everyone, I'm Yuki Washington.
7: I'm Jessica Cartaglia.
8: And I'm Natasha Brown, live in South Coventry Township, where that 14-day-long manhunt finally came to a safe ending this morning. You watch the arrest all play out live right here on CBS News Philadelphia. Here is how police ultimately captured him. Thermal imaging from an aircraft detected Cavalcante in a wooded area in South Coventry Township, about a three-mile hike from where I am standing right now. Police surrounded him as he crawled through Thick brush. A police dog was able to subdue him and he was taken into custody about 8 o'clock this morning. Now, this picture of Cavalcante shows his head bleeding from the dog bite. Cameras got a good look at Cavalcante after he was taken to the state police barracks in Avondale, Chester County. And this is video of Cavalcante in a secure police vehicle arriving at SCI Phoenix Prison in Montgomery County. Cavalcante's new mugshot was also just released. Now, he will go back to serving a life sentence for the first-degree murder of his ex-girlfriend. Police captured Cavalcante near where I am standing, as I said, here along Route 100 south in the area of Pryser Road and Route 100. That's about 35 miles away from the Chester County prison where he escaped two weeks ago today. We've got a team of reporters out there fanned out across the area covering Cavalcante's capture what's next for him, and how rattled neighbors are trying to return to a sense of normalcy and safety. Let's start with Nikki Dementry. She watched Cavalcante get moved from the state police barracks in Avondale earlier this afternoon. Nikki.
7: Natasha, it took a community effort to bring Danilo Cavalcante back into custody, and tonight many here in the community are telling me that for the first time in 14 days, they'll be able to sleep soundly.
9: We're living in a movie. We see the stuff on TV, but not in our actual community.
7: It's a movie that finally came to an end. Convicted murderer Danilo Cavalcante is back in prison. Not long after his capture in northern Chester County, the 34-year-old was brought to state police barracks in Avondale. Chopper 3 captured the moments Cavalcante was taken into the building in handcuffs, shirtless but wearing shorts and work boots. We're all safe and he didn't hurt nobody
0: else. It's a win.
7: Using their phones to capture the drama. Neighbors came out and stayed for hours. We're standing here. Day 14. It's over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're just relieved that he's captured and uh, everybody can get some some good sleep tonight.
9: We're lost for words right now because it's been so long. So all I'm saying is just we're just grateful for the state police and give that family some some peace of
8: mind.
7: The crowd only grew over the hours Cavalcante was inside the barracks. State police say he was cooperative while being interviewed. When he did come back out, the community, well, they cheered for law enforcement. Cavalcante did not answer any questions as officers escorted him shackled and shoeless to the back of an armored vehicle they call a bearcat. Next stop, a prison cell.
1: I think the community rallied together really well. Everybody had a a part in it you know everybody was keeping an eye out
7: sci phoenix is a maximum security prison in montgomery county now the department of corrections in pennsylvania tells us that it could be a couple of weeks whether we know or not if cavalcante will be moved to a different state facility that is to serve out the entirety of his life sentence he got for killing his ex-girlfriend for now live in
0: you know, Phil, I thought of something a, a little bit funny, but uh, you saw he was walked in with work boots on but walked out barefoot. So I wonder if he has to give back those work boots to the guy that he stole them from or if the guy would even want them back. I don't think I would want them back after guy this guy wore them, you know?
2: No, I certainly wouldn't either. Maybe they would vouch it as evidence. I don't know. I didn't I didn't understand that myself. They, they should have gotten some kind of uh, – you know, footies from the, from the hospital or something, but they walked him out barefoot. You know, you know, Billy, he's lucky that he was in that area for 14 days. That's bear country. It is. There's a lot of bear in that area. He's lucky that he didn't, you know, come face to face with a wild animal and and meet his demise that way. And can't even imagine being in that, uh, that terrain and and the, you know, millions of mosquitoes and bugs and uh, snakes. There could have been a lot of different things he could have encountered well, oh, oh, Phil,
0: that's that's what's amazing is that he buried himself under like leaves and other debris. Like here, yeah. here's where he got caught. Like it was near a wood pile, and that's where uh, the dog, uh, you know, apprehended him, bit him in the head. He still had, you see, the rifle to the right in that picture. He could have shot it out to the police, so they were very lucky in that sense. But uh, he he was a survivalist. He knew how to survive. Out in nature, most people couldn't do that i mean uh, you know there's there's another i wanted to play something also there was a, a a video of of how he was surviving uh eating watermelon and uh let me just put this up on the screen here
4: prisoner and convicted murderer was
6: captured Wednesday morning after a nearly two week
2: long manhunt and before being taken back to prison, he was questioned by investigators.
10: Fox 43's Alyssa Kratz spoke with US marshals today about what Cavalcante revealed.
9: That's right, Marshall. And of course, so many questions out there. What was he doing for those 13 days? How was he surviving and was anyone helping him along the way? Well, today we got some of those answers. Danilo Cavalcante is back in prison after spending 13 days on the run in Chester County.
4: We wanted to surround Mr. Cavalcante. We wanted to cut his resources off. We wanted to make him make mistakes. We wanted to move him, and that's exactly what we did.
9: After his capture Wednesday morning, Cavalcante was questioned by investigators about what he'd been doing since escaping the Chester County prison August 31st.
4: When he initially escaped, He didn't move very far. He would stay in one area. Um, It was actually three days before he ate.
9: Then he found a watermelon on a farm, which became his primary food source.
4: He actually opened it with his head that he said he said and that he (laughs) drank from streams.
9: Cavalcante traveled at night and slept during the day. He even went to the extreme of hiding his own fecal matter in the brush and vegetation to prevent being tracked. He told U.S. Marshals the law enforcement presence was overwhelming and his next planned step was to carjack someone and try to get to Canada.
2: Billy, Billy, stop it a second. I just want to make a comment. Think of... Think about that. He was hiding his fecal matter. This guy was, this guy had survivalist skills. He knew to do that. Yes. I mean, who, who would think of something like that? You know, this guy really, uh, he was up on his escape plan.
0: One hundred percent. That's why I think he was trained. He had training, you know.
4: Uh, he knew that there was an increased presence in the uh, second perimeter down in East Ant Mill and he felt again that he needed to get out and he said he was going to within the next 24 hours
9: many speculated the fugitive was getting help along the way but after speaking with him investigators say cavalcante was doing it all on his own with a bit of luck on his side
4: not having uh, the van locked keys in the van entering a home where somebody shoots at you uh, he wasn't hit being able to get across the perimeter
9: there were also multiple times he was almost stepped on by officers cavalcante admitted to police He thought about giving up.
4: He said that there it was just too tough to live out there. Law enforcement was everywhere and the thought had crossed his mind uh, to give up.
9: And again, Cavalcante now at SCI Phoenix. It's a maximum security state prison in Montgomery County. He's serving that life sentence for the murder of his ex girlfriend. You can also watch the entirety of that interview with US Marshals on our website. Fox 43.com Alyssa.
0: So interesting. I mean, think of, I, I don't know how nourishing a watermelon is. I, it really, most of a watermelon is mostly water, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how that would fortify you. Anyway, feel let me go to a quick commercial. Folks, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel membership with uh, five different levels. You see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube uh, channel members, fans, subs, and friends. Linda Vergata, thank you so much for the $5 super sticker. You know, this case has been, uh, I think, one of the best things about this case is that it ended happily. And we cover cases throughout the year that don't always end happily. And, and I'm always brought back to the case of um, this individual Gonzalo. right here yep. uh, Gonzalo, Gonzalo Lopez, Lopez, who escaped from a prison in Texas in 2022. And uh, total, it was a total mess, a total mess. The, the, the prison was just, it was an inside job, let's put it that way and everything that could go wrong went wrong for law enforcement. He escaped into the woods. And at some point law enforcement said, oh, he fled, he's no longer in the area. So they released the area and they let people come back into the area. And sure enough, he was laying low and he killed a family of five. And I was really concerned that something similar can happen, could happen in this case. And thank God it didn't, you know, Phil. Absolutely, Billy. Uh, When you look at the amount of time that this was uh, taking
2: place, this was 14 days that he was on the lam. Obviously, I I instructed my daughter and her roommates, do not go out at night. This guy is obviously moving at night uh, during the day and around the clock. They did have uh, police officers stationed around the college. So again, uh, very, very fortunate that it turned out the way it did. Uh, He was desperate. I mean, let's face it. uh, There were three-day periods where he didn't eat. Uh, Maybe he got sick of watermelon. He might have been looking for something else. And uh, he had to plan to do the carjacking. Uh, Just thank God that he didn't, uh, you know, utilize uh, that part of his plan. Uh, Try to do a carjacking and maybe injure someone. Uh, Just glad that it turned out the way it did. Uh, This was really, really uh, a very dangerous character. I mean, he's going to jail for the rest of his life. He's never going to see the light of day. There's no question about that. And if he ever does, for some reason, get out of jail he's got to face the charges in Brazil. So this was a, uh, a man with no options other than to try and escape and to stay out there. So I don't think he would have hesitated to hurt someone, law enforcement, innocent people. Uh, he was definitely
0: desperate. 100%. You know, and folks are talking about in the, in the, um, in the chat, uh, would he have killed someone to carjack a car? Absolutely. That's why he wanted to get a weapon. And if, looks if someone complied, maybe he'd take their car and let them go. Maybe, maybe he'd still kill them because there'd be a witness against them. But that was the whole reason that he had a weapon was because he wanted to uh, get away. And, and that was more important than anything else to escape and, and you know, get out of the country. And because look what he's facing now. He's facing his entire life behind bars. And... Uh, so escape was, was, was his goal. And, you know, th- this ge- uh, gentleman here on the screen, um, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens, to me, I said right from the early, uh, the outset of this case, he's a true hero. He's a law enforcement executive, but a law enforcement hero, a, a total professional, total experienced uh, man. And he didn't waver uh, all the time during this investigation. He never, ever wavered uh knowing that his plan and the the solid police uh tactics they were using were going to work they weren't maybe working quickly enough for many specifically the press was pushing oh this is taking too long okay then you go you go into the woods and see if you can do better you know but his plan was great his plan was also you know tried and true and it had been it's been used before and it's been used before successfully so you can't argue with that bill
2: Absol- absolutely billy and the messaging that was done on this case uh, from uh, lieutenant colonel bivens uh, is it yeah bivens lieutenant colonel bivens uh i think that that should be the model for future uh Press conferences, and it wasn't like anybody was trying to steal the limelight. He did all the messaging. Uh, I think he was very good at it. Like you stated, he's a professional. You could see he exemplified prof- professionalism. Uh, you know, there were reporters throwing a lot of different questions, accusatory in nature. He was able to handle them. There was a lot of frustration in this case. Let's face it, 14 days is a long time when most uh, inmates that escape from jails are captured within hours. So there was definitely a lot of frustration, but he handled it well. His messaging was right on. I don't think you could have asked for a uh, a better person to be in charge of this investigation, this this search for this escaped inmate. And uh, you know, he really
0: uh, he really did a great job. And I think we got to give him a thumbs up. Absolutely. Let me just play this.
10: Pleasure to stand here this morning and uh, talk to all of you about uh, bringing this manhunt to a successful conclusion, and without getting anyone else hurt. Most importantly, none of this would be possible without the support of this team represented by uh, members of various agencies standing with us up here, by others standing throughout this fire hall, and by still more who are out there in the field. So let me give you a few details about how this unfolded. As you know, we have been uh, working most recently in a, a perimeter established in Northern Chester County last night shortly after midnight a series of events started to unfold first we uh, we had a uh, burglar alarm at a residence near Priser Road within the perimeter uh, our people investigated that did not uh, did not find Cavalcante there or anyone else, but it brought, it started to bring some of our people into that area. Uh, we had been searching an area not far from there already with some tactical teams that night. There was uh, an aircraft overhead utilizing uh, FLIR technology and uh, close to 1 a.m. picked up a heat signal that they began to track was west of PA 100 and north of Pryser Road. Tactical teams began to converge on that location where the heat source was moving. Uh, Unfortunately, we had a weather system that also came in and we had lightning that was flashing all around and it caused the aircraft to have to depart the area. Tactical teams made a decision to uh, secure that area that smaller area as best they could and hold it through the storm and until uh, we could bring additional resources in and bring aircraft back overhead to ensure that we did not have uh, an issue with an escape that resumed early this morning and shortly after 8 a.m tactical teams converged on the area where the uh, heat source was They were able to move in very quietly. They had the element of surprise. Cavalcante did not realize he was surrounded until that had occurred. That did not stop him from trying to escape. He began to crawl through thick underbrush, taking his rifle with him as he went. One of the customs and border control teams, BORTAC, uh, had a dog with them. They released the dog. Some of our PSP CERT members were also there, had him surrounded. The dogs subdued him and team members from both of those teams immediately moved in. He continued to resist, but was uh, forcibly taken into custody. No one was injured as a result of that. Excuse me. He did sustain uh, a minor bite wound. Um, We had uh, medical uh, personnel at the scene, and they uh, they took a look at that. Cavalcante was, as I said, taken into custody. He was transported to our Avondale station for further processing and interview, and he will ultimately be transferred to a state correctional institute where he will be housed and begin to serve his life sentence. In just a few minutes, I'll open this up to some questions, but I, uh, before I do that, I wanna turn this over to one of our, our very close partners, District Attorney Deb Ryan.
0: So, folks, I think he gave such a great uh, in-depth, thorough, very easy to understand uh, report. And, you know, one of the big, well, one of the reporters uh, tried to make this photograph here on the screen, uh, a controversial photograph. And the officers that had worked, you know, two weeks straight, probably 12, 14 hours a day, This is not uncommon in law enforcement. It's part of the esprit de corps. It's part of almost like a trophy that they will have as a remembrance of this hard work. But however, many in the press took great umbrage at it. And Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens was questioned in the press conference. I don't know where the reporter was from, but I saw this exact same story in the New York Times, and I saw it on some other stations. And the reporter said, uh, are you aware that the officers took a photo op with uh, Danilo Cavalcante? And Leter- C- Colonel Bivens, without missing a beat, says, you know, they are professionals. They've worked very, very hard on this case. He goes, I don't have a problem with that. End of story. The story's done with. No more controversy. He cut. He shut it down right there. And, you know, something? I want to put something up on the screen. This is a a quote from Ernest Hemingway. And I have seen this in detective squads all across New York City, and I'm sure it's all over policing in the United States. And I'm just gonna read it. There is no hunting like the hunting of a man. And those who have hunted armed men long enough and liked it never care for anything else thereafter. Ernest Hemingway. And what that simply means is that police are hunting armed human beings. And not that it becomes uh, something they love to do, the hunt, but it takes a special type of person to do this type of work. And these guys, when they did do it and they were successful, so yes, did they take a photo op? Yeah. Does anyone have a problem with that? You know, I'm sure there are those that do. I certainly don't. I've taken pictures myself of big arrests and big uh, scenes. So, I mean... If, they, if they're selling copies of this, I'll order one for
2: myself, Phil. 100% Billy. So now you got to think about it. These guys were, uh, you know, they were dealing with the elements, the mosquitoes, the snakes, all the different things while they were searching for this guy. They were involved in a 14-day, uh, 24-hour, round-the-clock search So they wanted to memorialize it. They were successful. They felt good about the fact that they got this guy. He was unharmed other than a minor dog bite. No one else was injured. This was a big thing for them, for their careers. So they want to memorialize it. They want to have a picture to go back and think about, say, look look what I was part of. I don't have a problem with it at all. I I, I could remember my partner who uh, arrested uh, Joel Rifkin, who was a serial killer. Uh, he was already in custody and he met him at uh, Central Brooklyn and, and you know, had to process him. He took a picture with him to memorialize that. That was not something that you do every day. I mean, Joel Rifkin was a serial killer. He had killed, I think it was about 18, uh, 18 women out in Long Island. And so, again, uh, something that was fairly uh, newsworthy, let's say, or it was a big, big case, a big deal. So you want to memorialize it. I think that uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, was it Bivens? Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Bivens. He put it to rest right there. They're professionals.
0: They took a picture. No big deal. You know, Phil, not every boss would be that stand up. And he was a stand up absolutely. absolutely, And I loved it when he said, I have no problem with that. The story ended right there. And it yep. was to me, it was like they were almost trying to invent a story. Rosemary J, thank you for joining our YouTube family. Welcome aboard. Uh, absolutely. Join the folks in the green font. <laughs> Joe South Oz. Billy, when you think about it, were, oh God, I'm sorry. They worked hard for that photo. Well done. Joe South Oz, yeah, thank of you course, so much for the $5 course. super sticker. 100 percent And you know something? I posted this on LinkedIn, uh, the fact, the photo and my opinion about it. And not everyone on LinkedIn is law enforcement friendly, but I didn't see anyone that objected to most people were like, Yeah, what's the problem with that? You know? Of is course, there a I problem? Did. I don't know. It was not an
2: inappropriate photo. They weren't hanging him from a tree and taking a picture. He was in custody. He was in handcuffs. He was given first aid. I mean, I I think the fact that they were able to take him alive is an accomplishment. So they took a quick photo. It's not a big deal in my mind. And I have absolutely no problem with it. And obviously, most people with common sense won't have a problem. Those guys did a great job. It's a great day for law enforcement yesterday. They captured this guy
0: without firing a single shot. Not a big deal. Lieutenant Pete, fancy perp walk. Yes, in a way, Lieutenant Pete, that's a good point. The NYPD does it all the time. They do what's called a perp walk. And everyone from the press is invited to videotape it, to take pictures. It's like, it's almost like a tradition. Uh, And this is very similar to that, the, the perp walk.
11: And end game. Well, it's his first night under a new prison ceiling after his last night under the stars and clouds, and hours after he agreed to tell interrogators about his 14 days on the lamb and tell them how incredibly, so incredibly close they came to finding him three times and how he planned to use that rifle to make a further escape out of the country soon. Our nightmare is finally over. In hospital gown and handcuffs, Danello Cavalcanti was walked out of the Avondale State Police Barracks after cooperating with interrogators telling them through a Portuguese interpreter that he intended to carjack someone in the next day to get to Canada or Mexico. A source in on Cavalcanti's interrogation told Fox 29 News his end game was to carjack someone and get out of the country because he began to notice increasing search helicopters and airplanes over his head. He said he'd been hiding under thick underbrush and on three occasions said armed search teams came within seven or eight yards of him. He said he only moved at night, never during the day. Cavalcanti even did his own surveillance, he told interrogators. He said he did surveillance on the first perimeter around Longwood Gardens, so he knew where and when to run to make his escape from there. He also did surveillance on that house where he stole the rifle from. He didn't just do those without planning, the source told us. He said he hid his fecal matter, number twos, under leaves and brush so churches wouldn't find out where he had been. He found a backpack with a razor inside during his escape, which he used to shave. He said he lived off stream water and a watermelon that he had stolen.
10: There were people who were intent and intended to assist him. We had been successful, uh, to the best of my knowledge, we had been successful in preventing that assistance from reaching him.
11: And so after his interrogation, an 18-vehicle caravan brought Cavalcanti in a SWAT truck into the State Correctional Institute Phoenix here in Skipack. And as the prison's garage doors slowly closed on Cavalcanti's last glimpse of sun and sky for a while, interrogators realized they had just learned how close Cavalcanti possibly came to trying to make a further escape and maybe even add to his list of victims. Sheba Jason?
9: Steve, there's just some really startling new details to come out about how he was
8: able to survive 13 days here. Anything that struck you the most out of all of this? Because that was quite a lot.
11: Well, we talked about how tough it was to find them. He's hearing their footsteps three times. He's just seven or eight feet away from them. Unbelievably, three times. That's how close they came. And it also shows you how thick that brush that we talked about yesterday was. they just that close to him, and they don't even mm. see him. Wow. And he's not wearing what they're wearing. They're wearing camouflage gear, and he's not. And so and, and, that shows you how thick that stuff was that he was living in.
8: And the fact that he was able to do his own surveillance undetected in that thick brush as well is just. Yeah,
11: it helps explain astounding. why they didn't catch him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Steve. Keep-
2: you know, that Philadelphia so- Eagle sweatshirt green, that probably helped him a little bit too. That kind of blends into the camouflage. Uh, you know, family.
0: Absolutely. You know, Phil, I wanted to say one thing and sort of the elephant in the room is like, he's an illegal, he's an illegal alien. He Mm -hmm. murdered someone in Brazil in 2017 and he murdered someone in this country. My question is, how was a criminal like this allowed to operate in this country without anyone looking for him? And that's sort of the, no one's talking about that.
2: Well, we're talking about it. It's obviously the elephant in the room, and he's illegally in the country. Uh, he kills his girlfriend because she finds out about the murder in Brazil, and apparently uh, he believed she was going to, you know, rat him out. And uh, again, uh, we have a big problem in this, this country. Are we going to see things like this again? I think uh, we're strapped in for a long, uh, a long haul because, as if you watch the news, uh, there are a lot of people coming over the border. Now, I'm not talking about the migrants that are documented. We have over a million that are coming in and we don't know who they are or where they are. That's the real uh, concern in my mind, as well as the other millions of uh, migrants that are coming in. So we have a problem in this country. Uh, We're going to have to deal with it. New York city is really the New York city may is really up in arms about it. However, he's not calling on the federal government. He's not calling them out. He's calling, he's asking them for financial aid. However, sanctuary city, uh, he's not calling out the government. So, uh, it's, uh, it's something that we're probably going to be talking about in the future. Let's put it that way, Bill. Absolutely. Phil, Want we'll to take care of this here. So, guys, uh, Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York City area? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced criminal defense attorney. He's also a retired year member of the NYPD. He was also on the boxing team, so he may be able to deliver that knockout punch on your case. If you need to get a hold of Joe, his website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray is a big supporter of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, and we think he's a terrific criminal defense attorney.
0: Absolutely, and a huge supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast. You know, one of the things that this case, what did we really, what did we learn from this case? You know, what, uh, well, obviously, uh, one of the things we learned is that the uh, prisons and the jails have to be secured much better than they were. Uh, when we realized that this case, at its height, costs $1 million a day for this search, for the personnel, for the shutdowns of the schools, for the shutdown I don't even if they're considering the shutdowns of the stores and the way that people couldn't make a living because they were locked in their homes. So the price that people had to pay for this and man hours in just, you know, just not being able to go out of their house, their kids not being able to go to the school, people not being able to go to work because someone had to be home to watch their kids because the kids weren't in school. So what do we learn? And, And do we keep, I mean, I think the, Law enforcement, other than the prison, were the utmost in professionalism. And I think they did an outstanding job.
2: 100%. Billy. Uh, I was wondering out loud, thinking, uh, was the fact that he was shorter aiding him in that crab walk up that wall? Because if it was a taller person, perhaps they might have not been able to use their arms and legs in that manner. So maybe that had an element of it. Again, security at that prison and all prisons is of the utmost of importance. I'm sure they're gonna uh, take another look at that area and perhaps have it blocked off that uh, inmates can't go into that area. And the, the officer it said he was terminated. Perhaps you're right, Billy, maybe he took an early retirement. Again, something like that, being distracted by a cell phone when you're in the tower and not seeing an inmate escape. And look what it costs uh, this town, millions of dollars a day, like you just said, Billy. People were in fear for the last two weeks. Uh, again, if you were an Uber driver, would you be out at night driving Uber, uh, you know, waiting for this guy to jump out of the bush and, and try and carjack you, or any type of uh, a delivery, uh, Uber Eats, uh, DoorDash, any of that? So all of those things probably uh, came to a screeching halt. Again, more financial uh, stuff that was uh, taken away from the community. Uh, you're saying it's a million dollars a day. That's the law enforcement end of it who knows what the real number is. And again, uh, takeaway, uh, they gotta be more, more securities prisons.
0: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I know also, and of course, I'm uh, um, being former, uh, police retired NYPD, funding the police is so important. The toys that they used and we refer to that in, in a sort of slang sense, the toys they used in this case are not cheap, you know, uh, the thermal imaging aircraft period, sending a helicopter up, sending a fixed wing aircraft, which belonged to the DEA. That's federal money, Drug Enforcement Administration. I'm unaware if the Pennsylvania State Police owns a fixed wing aircraft. I know the NYPD, NYPD doesn't. The NYPD owns helicopters. And who knows at what level the thermal imaging is because it has to be upgraded every couple of years. And and the, the science is constantly changing and technology is constantly changing. And the toys you saw here and ultimately the thermal imaging is what brought the uh, the police and the, uh, the border patrol to that very area. I'm sure they had GPS coordinates and they sat on it until the day, the day hours. And then they were able to send the dog into the woods. And the dog, uh, and, oh, there's another thing. Canine units cost a fortune to keep most police departments across this country do not have canine units because they cost so much money.
2: Bigger Those dogs take two years of training, uh, Bill, when they do, uh, whether it be uh, cadaver dogs or a search dog like that, or uh, drug sniffing or bomb sniffing dogs. I have a cousin that trains those type of dogs It's two years of training before those dogs are ready to go out to the field. So, again, look how much uh, uh, cost there is in that. There's a cost factor in that. And then the animal itself, uh, they they import them from uh, Belgium. So think about it. It's uh, probably a lot of money. 100%.
0: 8.20
4: this morning, Cavalcante
3: apprehended. This here is a picture of Cavalcante shortly after his capture. You can see he was wearing an Eagle sweatshirt when He was found. Cavalcante escaped from prison two weeks ago, prompted an intense search throughout the county. And take a look at this map here. It really shows you the area where this escapee was captured this morning in South Coventry Township, Chester County. You could also see the county prison where he escaped exactly 14 days ago today.
8: Let's get right to NBC Den's Brian Sheehan. He was at that news conference announcing Cavalcante's capture. Brian, walk us through how this all went down, some major developments overnight.
3: Yeah, Keith and Erin, state police say those major developments started around midnight when a burglar alarm went off at a residence on Prizer Road. Of course, that's a road that we've mentioned multiple times over the past several days uh, within that search perimeter where investigators believe Cavalcante was near. So what happened was uh, law enforcement moved into the area. They did not find Cavalcante, uh, but we are told that multiple agencies moved in, secured that area, uh, and a helicopter uh, took flight over the area. And using that Heat thermal technology actually picked up uh, heat sensors uh, around one o'clock this morning. However, uh, as we know, there was bad weather that was moving into the region at that time. So the helicopter had to leave the area, but the tactical teams uh, secured the area. They moved in on the ground, monitored the area overnight, made sure that whatever that heat sensor was, If it was, in fact, Danilo Cavalcante did not get past their perimeter. Uh, So then around eight o'clock this morning, we are told that that aircraft was in flight and picked up that heat sensor once again. At that point, a tactical team moved in on the ground, snuck up behind Danilo Cavalcante, uh, who was on the ground. Once he was alerted of their presence, we're told he then sort of bear crawled on the ground through brush while carrying uh, that that rifle that caliber uh, 22 caliber rifle that we were told that he obtained a few days ago at that point the tactical teams actually unleashed the canine dog who we were told was able to restrain uh, Danello Cavalcante and we were told that he did in fact have a bite mark uh, but once the canine officer uh got Danello Cavalcante we are told that Cavalcante still resisted until uh troopers until uh, law enforcement were able to bring him into custody. Now, we have mentioned multiple times that they were given the use of force if necessary, but we talked to Colonel Bivens about uh, their decision not to use that this morning. Here's what he had to say.
10: Well, as I addressed uh, a few minutes ago, yes, he had the firearm with him. Yes, he was a threat. He did not have an opportunity. I believe he was uh, taken by surprise. And I believe the canine played a large role in him not being able to utilize that firearm. What I would tell you is again, that it is our last choice, our last preference to use lethal force. And so while there were other options, the team did the responsible thing, did what they're trained and what we expect, and they used other options. And again, lethal force is always the last option.
3: All right, so where is Danilo Cavalcante right now? We are told that he was transported uh, to the state police barracks in Avondale where investigators are trying to question him. uh, And then at some point he will be transported to a state correctional facility. However, we are told at this point in time, they are not releasing uh, the name of that facility. It will become public uh, presumably at some point later today. Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel Vivens telling me live here a few minutes ago, uh, he will serve the rest of his life sentence in inside a state correctional facility for now live in Kenneth square chester county i'm brian sheehan nbc 10 news keith and aaron we'll send it back to you
8: relief to many people mm-hmm. out there all right brian thanks for that let's go to nbc 10's Deanna Durante. she's been closely following this story for the past two weeks yeah,
3: she joins us now live from the pennsylvania state police barracks in avondale chester county where calvicante is being held and we've been talking to you on the phone we're finally getting to see your face here because you've been all over the place uh, tell us about how this all went down this morning
5: well you heard a little bit of it from brian there we can tell you that it was overnight that a federal plane picked up what they call a heat signature and overnight they planned they tightened up that perimeter you had that perimeter that was miles wide miles long and they were able to kind of zero in on one area first thing this morning i talked to a team out of uh, montgomery county they were on the ground there getting ready inside that interior perimeter there one source telling me we believe he's in there actually we know he's in there that source told me and it was just about Uh, A FEW MINUTES LATER THAT WE STARTED HEARING THEY MAY HAVE HIM AND THAT HE'S BEEN CAUGHT. WE CAN TELL YOU HE IS INSIDE THE STATE POLICE barracks HERE AT AVONDALE. HE'LL BE TRANSPORTED IN THAT BEARCAT VEHICLE THAT YOU SAW sky force 10 following from the scene there uh from northern chester county to here to southern chester county he's going to go to a state prison we know that once he was spotted once there was movement on the ground when the swat team went in that it was a police dog that uh, subdued him that he tried to crawl away still having that weapon and despite having that weapon and we're told a, a fully loaded magazine no shots were fired here Uh, the best possible outcome despite the fact that this hunt took 14 days but no one was injured Calvocante, we have seen in photographs uh was bleeding from the head but that bleeding quickly stopped he's wearing that eagle sweatshirt it looks like there's a little blood on that sweatshirt he uh, had his clothes cut off of him i'm told before he was loaded into the bearcat brought here to avondale and we'll be able to tell how much he's really cooperating by his length of stay here if he's going to tell police everything he knows who helped him how they helped him, what he did, that may take a little bit of time. Of course, he doesn't have to tell them anything. And if he chooses not to speak to them, then he could be booked, uh, photographed, and then sent to a state prison. So it really will be how long and how much information he wants to give. And just the fact that he's in custody at this point does not mean that this case is over. You still have the investigation as to how he got out of the prison in the first place. Obviously, we've seen that video of him crab walking up to the roof. We're told he used a towel to cover that barbed wire to get out, that a guard may have missed seeing him on the grounds there. Was there a distraction? Did he have help from other inmates? That's all gonna be part of that investigation. What more does Chester County need to do to secure the prison? That'll be a secondary investigation. And then the investigation into what has he been doing for the last 14 days? Who knew what he was doing? Who knew where he was and who was helping him? We do know that some of the items that he had when he left the Chester County prison was just the clothes off his back. And over the last 14 days, he managed to change his appearance. He managed to change his clothes. Somehow he was getting food. Uh, We know that from some of our sources that when he was arrested in the early 2000s in Brazil, that he was able to survive in the jungle for quite some time before entering this country illegally and remaining pretty much off the grid. That is until that homicide that he was just convicted of. So they're gonna be taking a hard look back at all of that. And again, you've heard it over and over. If anybody helped him, if anybody provided assistance, if anybody didn't tell police what they knew right away, they're gonna figure that out And that'll all be part of the investigation there. The attorney general has come out and said her office will be charging him with escape. And she is continuing that investigation as well. So despite the fact that he is in custody, the police investigations around all of this, far from over. That's the latest.
0: You know, Phil, we always say that, like, when after there's an arrest, people that aren't familiar with law enforcement, we say, oh, it's all over now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, it's not. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of the work just begins and you got to cross your T's, dot your I's. Look, they're going to even charge him with the escape. And I think, you know, he can't get any more time. He's already got life in prison. But I think that's one of the reasons they do that is because they want to investigate and find out exactly what occurred. what were, And what are the vulnerabilities in that prison that he escaped from? Where did he go? How did he? Even after he got to the roof and got out, how did he get to the perimeter of the prison, get through those fences, and no one saw him? There's some really weaknesses in that system. So a good thorough investigation will uncover that. What did he do in the 14 days he was on the run? Can they get a bird's eye view of each and every day where he was, what he did, Homes he broke into. How many reports? How about burglary charges?
2: Burglary charges. That's exactly right. How broken.
0: many homes did he break into? How many things did he steal? He stole a firearm. Is he going to be charged with criminal possession of a weapon? There's another charge that, you know, remember. for a convicted felon, that's no joke. That in itself can give a convicted felon another ten or fifteen years onto their sentence. But it's all sort of academic since he's he's doing life anyway. Absolutely, Billy. And also, uh,
2: it looked like that other person in the jail when he was doing the crab walk was kind of a lookout. Could he be charged with, uh, ex- a, you know, an accessory to an escape? So, so, oh, facilitation, uh, yeah, criminal facilitation, yeah, facilitation of the escape. So, yeah, and maybe there were other people involved in it. You know, uh, maybe he uh, is on video uh, looking at that area. You know, uh, seeing it if he could scale it prior to uh, the actual escape. So again. Like you said earlier, the investigation is going to continue. They're going to try and uh, see if they can map out every move that he made, every house that he broke into. Perhaps there will be burglary charges, firearm charges, and that other person or persons in the jail uh, could be held accountable for aiding that escape. And again, uh, we know that uh, they said that the uh, person that was in the tower, the correction officer, was in the tower terminated. Perhaps there'll be other heads that will roll in this investigation. And if the chip's got to fall, let them
0: fall where they may. Absolutely. Venus Gal. We have a canine in most counties, a canine officer and maybe a SWAT team that is joint with other counties. I don't know, uh, Venus, where you live. Are you referring to Pennsylvania? Search dogs or cadaver dogs, etc. No, but then these are U.S. counties with little big crime. You know, one of the things that uh, just in regards to funding after 9-11, uh, a lot of police departments across the nation got all kinds of federal money. And some that had no threat of any type of terrorist activity whatsoever were getting crazy money because they wanted to disperse it. They really should have dispersed it by need, by threat. Instead, they were giving these little towns, and then they were buying these ridiculous, you know. A lot of equipment. Yeah, equipment like that because it was federal money. But when you think like of financing a canine unit, you know, Financing uh, aviation unit, financing perhaps a mounted unit. Those are also ridiculously expensive units to run, and not every police department has that. So funding the police is so so important. And you know, folks, before we um, we, we say goodnight, I just want to show everyone this this photo because I love it. And I, I as I said, I hope someone puts it out there and tries to raise money, sells these photos, tries to raise money maybe for a cop hurt in the line of duty, his family, a cop that lost his life or died from some illness. And they use this photo to make money, to sell it and to make money to uh, help, some, uh, help some people. And uh, again, Lieutenant Colonel Bivens, you're great in my book. You have no problem with this at all. And neither do I. Bill?
2: It's nice to have a picture of a successful conclusion. I mean, if things had gone awry, there would have been plenty of pictures of, of that. So again, I don't have any problem with that. Bill, I just wanted to make a quick mention. A couple of days ago was 9-11. I always keep a low profile around 9-11. I just want to say thoughts and prayers, and God bless the souls that were lost on 9-11. God bless all the first responders that suffer with illnesses like Bill and myself and their families and uh just wanted to mention that to to not forget, never forget uh,
0: what we went through on 9-11-2001. Well said, Phil. Very well said. Uh, you have any final words as per this case? Well, listen, this
2: case turned out to be uh, a successful conclusion. I can't say it enough. I can't stress it enough. We got to give a thumbs up to these guys. This guy was taken without a shot being fired. His safety, he was kept safe. I mean, you can't look for a better... Scenario than this. Uh, let's look at what uh, the failures were in the correctional system where he escaped from, and changes could be made. And we always like to, you know, do like a a review of what took place in this investigation, so that way maybe the
0: next time, if there is a next time, we could do it better. Absolutely, very well said, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I can't imagine what else we could possibly cover on this story. We covered it from the very beginning. So many other. YouTube content creators have covered this story around the clock. And uh, I think a lot of people are glad that from our perspective, it's over. And, I bet uh, he hates watermelon now. Probably hates so much water- me, watermelon. He'll never eat hate. watermelon again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Folks, have a great night. And from police off the cuff, God bless. Stay safe, everyone. One
11: episode just saying enough.